going to focus on the cross. The cross is arguably the best-known symbol of Christianity. When one sees a cross, it's hard not to think about Jesus and the suffering he undertook. At least if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's hard not to think about the sufferings that Jesus undertook. But the cross has taken on many forms in today's world. But almost always, it's either memorializing those who have died, or it's a symbol of death to come. One of the most recognized symbols that memorializes those who have died is the Normandy American Military Cemetery. Now, I've never been there. I would love to go there one day, but I've seen many, many pictures of it. And the Normandy American Military Cemetery is a memorial to those American soldiers who lost their lives on the beaches of Normandy at D-Day. There's approximately, if you've ever seen a picture of it, 10,000 crosses perfectly laid out as part of this memorial. Listen to the official description from their website. Located between Arrow Manchez and Grand Camp Maisie on the Normandy coast, the Normandy American Cemetery Memorial is a haven of peace which encourages contemplation. Here in a beautifully green space perched upon a cliff overlooking Omaha Beach, about 10,000 perfectly aligned white crosses point towards America. In fact, within 173 acres, the Cemetery of Omaha gives a home to the fallen American soldiers who sacrificed their lives in the name of freedom during World War II, namely the first episode of the Battle of Normandy, Operation Overload, which commenced on June 6, 1944. Notice, it says a haven of peace which encourages contemplation. And I think that beautifully sums up one of the ways we should view the cross. A haven of peace which encourages contemplation. But the cross is much more. So much more. The cross brought, brought pain. It brought excruciating pain. It brought suffering. It brought death. Not just the, the pain to Jesus, but those who were followers of him experienced this pain as they watched the man that they had dedicated their lives to die on the cross. But the cross also brought something else, and it brought victory. And as we enter into Holy Week, we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made in going to the cross. We see in those final hours that as Jesus was crucified, that he speaks words of anguish. He speaks words of hurt. But of utmost importance, Jesus' final words on the cross speak of salvation. The Gospels record that there's seven sayings that Jesus says on the cross. And not every one is mentioned in every Gospel. So if you were to read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you were to read the final account of Jesus going to the cross, you're not going to see the same phrases used as Jesus says them in every Gospel. Some of the phrases are mentioned in multiple Gospels. Some of them are only mentioned in one. But what you can do is as you read through these events and you start reading through each gospel, you can piece together kind of a timeline of what happens in the final hours of Jesus' life here on earth as he hangs on the cross. 
You can start to piece together the anguish that he was enduring. You can start to see a picture of that. But you can also see that in the middle of all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that hurt, you can see where his heart truly was. And we're not going to look at all seven today, but I do encourage you over this next week, take some time and read through each of the accounts of Jesus going to the cross. And read through the words that he says and read those seven phrases and start to study the meaning behind them. And when you study them, what you're going to find is you will find that each gospel, whichever gospel each phrase is is recorded in, perfectly lines up and emphasizes the mission that the writer of that gospel was trying to accomplish, that he was trying to express to its reader. And so today, what I want to do is I want us to focus on the three phases that we find in the Gospel of Luke. The three phases that Luke records Jesus saying on the cross. And it's found in Luke chapter 23. So let's pray before we dive into the Word. Heavenly Father, these three phrases that we're going to look at today are so, so important to us as we live our lives here on earth. And the message that comes from them is a message of salvation. And I pray that in this room today, those that might need to hear this message, their ears and their hearts would be open, Lord, in a fresh, new way. As we just sang, bring an anointing, a fresh wind. Let the words that you spoke on the cross speak to us in a new way like we've never heard before. Amen. So turn me to Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. So last week, we finished up in the Lord's Supper, and we partook, or or at the Last Supper, and we partook of the Lord's Supper together. And we're going to fast forward a a few hours, basically, and a lot has happened in that time. Since we left the Last Supper last week, Jesus has gone into the garden to pray. The disciples can't stay awake. Judas returns with the guards. They attempt to arrest Jesus. Peter cuts off someone's ear. Jesus heals someone's ear. He's then arrested, beaten, mocked, taken before the council, before, taken before the council, taken before Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate again. Barabbas is released to the crowd. The beating and torture of Jesus continues. He begins to carry his cross to Golgotha. Simon of Cyrene begins to carry the cross when Jesus cannot. And then we arrive at the crucifixion site where Jesus is placed on the cross and hung as they crucified him. Short amount of time, a lot happening. But now we're to the point, we're to the, to the, to the end, we're to where Jesus is going on the cross and he's going to spend his last hours on earth. This is where we pick up the story in verse 32. He's there ready to be crucified in verse Chapter 23, verse 32 says this. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the skull, to the pla- to, when they came to the place that is called the skull, that's what the Golgotha translates to the skull, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, Watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. 
The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Here we see the beginning of the end. They strip him of his clothes. They strip him of his dignity. They strip him of everything that a human would desire. And they lay him on the cross and they nail his hands and feet. Then they raise that cross upright and they drop it into the ground so that Jesus can hang there in shame and agony. The interesting thing about this scene is that even though this cross was meant to bring shame and agony and death, look at where Jesus' heart and mind are here. John Wesley says this. It says, while they are nailing him to the cross, he seems to feel the injury they did to their own souls more than the wounds they gave him, and as it were, to forget his own anguish out of concern for their own salvation. This sums up Jesus' feelings right now. He's forgetting his own pain, his own suffering. He's worried more about them. And see, as the Gospels record this crucifixion of Jesus, it's very interesting because none of them actually mention that Jesus was nailed to the cross. Except later on in the book of John. We see in John chapter 20, verse 25, it says, So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So from that, we see that Jesus was nailed to the cross. And knowing what's happening in, uh, uh, with the history and the, 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 the historical records that we have of what crucifixion was in the Roman culture, we know that Jesus was nailed to the cross, his hands and his feet. And so that has to bring intense pain. Have you ever accidentally like hit your thumb when you're nailing something in? Or I see pictures of, you know, those crazy photos of these guys that survive crazy things and and trips to the ER. And they've like, I have a nail gun and I'm scared to use it all the time because I'm afraid I'm going to miss and I'm going to shoot something into my foot or into my hand. If you've ever done that, God bless you. Because I can't imagine the pain that you went through. Not only was Jesus nailed to the cross with his hands and his feet, they then lifted him up and dropped him. When I work out, you know, they talk about using your body weight as a way to work out. Can you imagine dropping down and your body weight pulling on those nails? The pain that he had to be going through in that moment, and Jesus' mind is not focused on that. He's focused on others. Look at what he says. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Father, forgive them. Jesus is saying, it's not about me, it's about them. Forgive them. Think about how powerful that short prayer is right there. In the midst of an innocent man being put to death, instead of proclaiming and protesting and proclaiming his guilt... Jesus is praying for the forgiveness of those who are doing this to him. Two quick things here about this. Two things I want you to notice. First off, when Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, Jesus is practicing what he preached. If you look in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, 28, it says, But I say to you, 
who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So Jesus has taught that when someone does harm to you, you should forgive them. You should pray for them. And that is what Jesus is doing here. He's practicing what he preached. And the second thing that he's doing here is he's fulfilling prophecy. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy from the book of Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 12, where it says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. This is Jesus taking our sin to the cross. And he makes intercession for the transgressors. He's interceding in prayer for those that have caused harm to him, those that are putting him through this. He is stopping and saying, Father, forgive them. If you're anything like me, forgiveness is hard. It's especially hard when you haven't done anything. You don't deserve what someone has done to you or you've been falsely accused. And I would think most of us have probably been in one of those situations in our life where someone has done something that we don't feel like we deserved and we needed to forgive them. And it was very difficult to do that. Now, I'm going to be a little transparent here and share with you that unfortunately some of the deepest wounds that I've suffered in my life have come from the people you would least expect. They've come from the church. They've come from other people that were believers in Jesus. And if you look at the last week of Jesus' life, what you see is you see many people that were, were following the things that he was saying, they kind of got caught up in this mob mentality and they turned on him. And they led him down the path to the cross. And when people who I have loved and trusted have hurt me, when they've betrayed me, caused me pain, caused me and my family pain so deep that it seems forgiveness would be impossible. In my mind, it is impossible. It's a very narrow, hard road to walk. And honestly, it's something that I've struggled with for long periods of time in my life. To forgive those who've hurt me, hated me, cursed me, and abused me, that's a real growth process for me. It's real, real hard for me to say, I forgive you. I can tell myself in my mind that I forgive them, but to actually say it and forgive them? Now, you can go on Amazon, you can go in any Christian bookstore, and you can type in forgiveness. And you're going to get a whole bunch of books that tell you how to forgive people. And it's real easy to read those books. It's real easy to try and apply those things. But, but I had to come to the hard realization for me that many of those books, for a long time, were just words on a page. I could read them and they didn't do anything to me. And what I had to come to and what, what I think some of you in this room who, who struggle with this idea of forgiveness, what I had to come to in my life when I looked at the words that Jesus says in both Luke 6 and here in, verse 20, in chapter 23 when he's saying and praying for forgiveness, I had to realize, and I'll be honest with you, it took some tough conversations from people that I love very dearly to sit me down and say, you have to forgive and penetrate my heart. I had to realize that if I did not do that, I would not be effective in ministry. If I could not come to forgiveness, 
I would not be effective. I would not be able to be the witness that God has called me to unless I forgave. I began to see that if Jesus didn't forgive from the cross, then he would not be living out the words that he spoke throughout the Gospels. If Jesus is going to the cross and he's bitter about what these people are doing to him, he's not full of the love and compassion that he shares. Luke's gospel here has two emphasis. His gospel, as he's talking about Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus on the cross, he's emphasizing two things. One, Jesus is an innocent, righteous martyr. And two, This crucifixion that we're seeing, if you put it in proper light, this crucifixion is a scene of awesome worship. That's weird to say, isn't it? That the crucifixion is worship. But but Jesus is carrying out God's plan. He's making God's name known. And ultimately, as we've seen throughout Scripture, it's for the glory of God. Because if Jesus doesn't go to the cross... The plan of redemption doesn't take place. Without forgiveness, without Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Neither of these two things that Luke is emphasizing are true. Jesus prays for their forgiveness. And if you continue throughout the scriptures, you see the next thing that I want us to focus on about forgiveness is that when you forgive... As Jesus forgave, forgiveness spreads. Forgiveness begins to go to other people and they recognize, wow, this person who has harbored hurt for me has forgiven me. Maybe I should forgive the person that's hurt me. And forgiveness spreads. And we see this in Acts chapter 7 verse 60. We see an example of this. A Stephen. Stephen is laying there being stoned to death for his faith, going through a similar persecution that Jesus went through. And look what he says. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Stephen, in his final moments, is remembering that Jesus forgave those that betrayed him on the cross, facing the same sort of death being stoned to death for his beliefs and he's saying father forgive them father forgive them he's repeating the prayer that jesus says from the cross who do you need to forgive today because jesus gives forgiveness when it seems impossible and forgiveness in our end of the world is is It's a whole lot easier than what he had to do. Then we move through, through the scriptures here in chapter 23, picking up in verse 39. Jesus is now hanging on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for what they do not, they they know not what they do. And remember, it says that he was hung with two criminals. And we pick up in verse 33, or verse 39, it says, one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. 
But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are the, under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then this criminal says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus responds to him in verse 43 with his next phrase from the cross. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus was not the only one crucified. There was two criminals. They were thieves. And these were not the thieves that sneak around at night and just take stuff. Sneak in silently. They take stuff and leave. These thieves were violent. The Greek here translates to robbery with violence. These men were convicted of violent acts that most likely led to murder. So these were not good guys. And here they are on the cross with a man who is innocent, suffering the same sort of death that they are. And these two men, in their agony and in their pain, knowing that they're about to die, take sides. And one of them aligns with the mockers. And he begins to to jeer and and goad and prod. And and I love what it says, rail against Jesus. Saying, save yourself and save us. If you are who you say you are, you can do this. Go ahead and do it. And the other one aligns with Jesus' followers. And he says, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And then he goes on, he says, this man has done nothing wrong. As one criminal mocks Jesus, the other recognizes who exactly Jesus is and what exactly Jesus brings. And I just want to think back to that first phrase that Jesus says here, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Do you think when this one criminal heard that, it just completely blew him away? Because he knew what he was going through. As he says this, we see a couple things occurring in what he he speaks. We see repentance. We see the thief repenting of the things that he does. He says, I'm justly condemned for what I've done. And then we see confession. Because after he says, I'm justly condemned for what I've done, this man has done nothing wrong. This man is, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And this right here is a picture of salvation. Of what must take place in your life to become filled with the hope of eternity. You must repent of the things that you've done. You must recognize, Jesus, I am a sinner. I justly deserve the punishment that I face. But then you also must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And when this criminal says, Jesus, remember me in your kingdom, he's thinking far down the road. He's not thinking immediate. So often, people make decisions when, to come to know Christ because they want eternal life, which we all want eternal life. And that's a great, great thing, but it's an immediate thing as we see here. Because when you repent and when you confess, that equals a promise. 
that Jesus gives. This thief could not even imagine that Jesus is going to say right off the bat, today you will be with me in paradise. In the next few hours, you and I are going to be together. You will be with me in paradise. He's offering him eternity now. Eternity with him. This man was saved wholly by grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says it was a gift of God. He did not deserve it and he could not earn it. His salvation was personal and secure, guaranteed by the word of Jesus Christ. The man hoped for some kind of help in the future. But as 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 4 tells us, Jesus gave him forgiveness that very day and he died and went with Jesus to paradise. It's the commentary of Warren Wiersbe, who is one of the most, one of my favorite scholars breaking down scripture, and he explains it perfectly. The only reason this man was saved was by the gift of grace that God gave. He didn't deserve it. His salvation, he couldn't earn. But it was personal, it was secure, and Jesus, in his promise of today you will be with me in paradise personally guarantees he was going to be with them because Jesus is the gateway to the kingdom so we move from father forgive me forgive them for they know not what they do to today you will be with me in paradise to now we're into the final moments of Jesus's life and it's one of my favorite Lines in all of the scriptures. In fact, as I've thought about what my last words on earth will be, this is what I want to be cognizant enough to say. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The full text says this, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light filled and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus is dead. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. In this moment, can you imagine the feelings? It's done. Jesus is gone. What they had, the person they had followed, the person that the the Jewish leaders had wanted to get out of their life for so long it's done and in that moment when Jesus says father into your hands I commit my spirit and he breathes his last breath look what happens the centurion who's standing there says surely this man was innocent his eyes are open to who Jesus was you see the people leaving the crowd that is assembled. And they return home and they're beating their chests. And they're beating it in shame. Because now they feel guilty that it's done. 
Have you ever done something that you struggled and, and just were torn over what you should do and whether or not you should do it or, 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 or be a part of it? And you don't know whether it's right or it's wrong or you should do it or not. And then you just say, I'm going to go ahead. And then you do. And as soon as you do it, there's instant guilt that that was the wrong thing to do. I really feel like that's what this crowd was feeling. They hit that point in their life, in that moment saying, oh my goodness, what did we just do? We just killed the king of the Jews. What do we do? What have we done? When Jesus says, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, this is actually quoting Psalm 31.5. And this phrase, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, was a bedtime prayer used by the Jewish children. And when he says this, it tells us how he died. That he died confidently, he died willingly, and he died victoriously. Because he wasn't sitting there afraid. He wasn't saying, give me more time. He wasn't saying, heal me. He was saying, I'm yours. I'm ready. And those of us that know Jesus need to be willing. And, and, and there's nothing more powerful than when you are with someone in their last moments and they are a believer and they say, it's okay, I'm ready. And there's not a fear in them because they know where they're going. And if you've ever been in a room with someone that feels that way versus being in a room with someone that doesn't, it'll change your world. Because they are dying willingly and confidently and victoriously. Because they are going home. When Jesus releases his spirit, the veil is torn in two. And it says in Mark 15, from the top to the bottom. Which I think is very significant. Because if you rip something, it usually rips from where you're trying to rip it, right? And this came from the top where nobody could reach. It came from the top from the bottom. And this announced to the priests and to the people that God's presence was open to all of them to come to him by faith. Because no more did sinners need earthly temples, no more did sinners need altars, sacrifice, or priests, because what Jesus did on the cross finished the work. And so when Luke recorded those three responses, the centurion saying, this man was a righteous, innocent man. He recognized and shocked because he was present for other crucifixions and realized that when they died, they would linger for days and did not have the strength to speak. And if you look at the scripture, if you look at that again, where it says, Father, into my hands, into your hands I commit my spirit, look at the punctuation. It's not a, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is a proclamation. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, exclamation point. He is shouting out. He's got the strength to shout out. Victory is here. Take me home. 
We've achieved what we once set out to do. The last group that it talks about here, it says Jesus' friends were there. Verse 49, and all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. They didn't know what was next. They were living in fear. And it is very, very important here that the last group said is the women who had followed him as we fast forward to next week will be the first ones to the tomb. Because to them, their world was over. And when they go to the tomb, as we'll look at next week, it only just begun. So here's my thing, my prayer for you today. What I hope you get is that you recognize that you need to forgive. But that Jesus has forgiven you. And all you have to do is repent of those sins and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and he will give you the promise so that when you are breathing your last breath on earth, earth and you're saying the last words of your life here on earth, that you can confidently and boldly say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit because you know without a shadow of a doubt that you are going to spend eternity with him. And we can help you discover that. We can help you walk through that process and pray and confess and repent and become part of what we call the body of believers. And so if you're in this room and you're struggling with that right now and God is saying, you know, here it is. I've placed it right in front of you. All you have to do is answer the call. Then we're gonna have a time of response here. And the band's going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And I'm going to be down front and I, will, I can pray with you. And if, if that makes you uncomfortable, I will meet you after church and we can pray and we can talk about it. And we can um, celebrate that God is doing something awesome in your life. And some of you are dealing with someone that you need to forgive. And you just need to come down here and you need to lay that at the altar. And you need to say, God, give me the strength to forgive them. Some of you are dealing with sin that you just need to repent. As we talked about last week, you need to wash your feet. And that altar is here for you as well. But most importantly, as we enter into Holy Week, we need to be able to remember that Jesus died for you. And when he died for you, so that you might live freely, that brings glory to the name of God. And that's the worship of the crucifixion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message of hope, this message of salvation, this message of light in the darkness. And I pray that if there's anyone in this room that is, that is struggling with answering a call to come and follow you, to repent, confess, and receive that promise, that you would make them bold this morning and they would say, enough's enough, today's the day I'm going to give my life to Jesus. And if there's those of us that are struggling being able to say that prayer, Father, forgive them. I pray that you would work in their hearts right now as well.
And Father, most importantly, we thank you for the promise that you give the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That we have hope that in this fallen world, we might find life. Eternal life with you. So that we can live victoriously to our last breath. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Just stand, please.
His grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When we've been there. Amen. Thank you for being here today. We look forward to seeing you Friday night at 6 o'clock and then back here next Sunday morning, 9 a.m. for breakfast for everybody, 10 a.m. for the egg hunt and 11 a.m. for worship. Go and live knowing that God has given you amazing grace and you have a secure foundation if you believe in him. You're dismissed.